Holly, thank you for that. Open up your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. If you don't have one with you, there's one in the chair right in front of you. I don't know what page it's on. I wasn't that prepared. It's always a privilege to get to speak behind this pulpit, and I'm thankful to Pastor Wally for the opportunity to speak tonight. It's always something that's a little nerve-wracking, but nevertheless, here I am. (laughs) It's always funny to me when people say not to be nervous, because it's God's message. It's not your own. And uh, while I 100,000% agree with that, it's not my message that I'm here to preach. I think every preacher should make it their goal to uh, preach what God puts on their heart. But I am still someone who's working on having like just an ounce of shame in their life in general. I'm just like, I do a lot of dumb things. So it almost makes it more nerve-wracking just because of who I am that I've got to carry God's message instead of my own. Because i got to represent that well. I can't just be me, right? So that is something. God's Word is something that I try to take seriously. And so my goal tonight is to do that, to open God's Word and take it for what it says and apply it. And I just hope that that will be a help to you. So as we approach Luke chapter 17, we're approaching the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. There's a lot of chapters left, but throughout the Gospels what you'll see is that Um, They kind of speed through the first three years, and then that last week, it really slows down. There's a lot of chapters just devoted to the last week of Jesus' ministry. Um, It makes a lot of sense because there's a lot going on. There's a lot of detail uh, that the Bible decides to go into. Uh, So we're not far here from his triumphal entry. We're We're not far from the Last Supper, and ultimately we're not far from the cross here in Luke chapter 17. And I bring that up to say this. Jesus' 12 disciples, the apostles, they had spent three years with Jesus at this point. That's three years of seeing Jesus perform miracles, three years of um, seeing him heal people, uh, seeing people raised from the dead, seeing demons cast out, uh, the dumb speak, the maimed grew limbs. Um, I don't know if it happened and it's just not recorded in scripture, but here soon in Luke 18, there's going to be a blind man that's healed. And Jesus calmed the seas. He walked on those same stormy seas. We see three years, and the apostles saw it firsthand, three years of Jesus doing many miracles. We could go on and on about the miracles of Jesus. And in the book of John, it actually says in chapter 21 that there are so many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. That's a lot. That's a lot of stuff that Jesus did. And the disciples had been there every single step of the way. That's a lot of proof that Jesus is God, if you ask me. That's a lot of opportunities to have your your faith strengthened. That's why I think it's funny when we arrive at Luke chapter 17. If you'll rise, uh, if you'll stand with me for the reading of God's word, we're going to be in Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 1, the Bible says, Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he cast into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again unto thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. 
And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto the sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. You may be seated. This wasn't the apostles' first rodeo. This wasn't their first time listening to Jesus give instruction. They'd heard the Sermon on the Mount probably multiple times. They'd heard Jesus preach probably more than we've heard Pastor Wally preach. He was preaching all the time. He was a preacher. He had, they were not um, strangers to Jesus' instruction. They weren't strangers, strangers to being part of Jesus' ministry. They'd been through all of it with Jesus. And how funny it is that it's not until Jesus commands that we forgive those who wrong us, And not only that, but those who wrong us way more than we would ever put up with, they ask Jesus to increase their faith. It's funny because it's relatable. I don't like to forgive anybody when they wrong me. After all, I'm always right. And I never wrong anyone else. So, But I don't want to focus on forgiveness tonight, though clearly it's something I need to work on. But I want to focus on verses 5 and 6. Verse 5 I'm sure everybody here has heard it before. I've prayed it many times. And the apostle said unto the Lord, increase our faith. When they ask for faith, Jesus tells them just how much faith they already have. He says, if ye had the faith of a grain of mustard seed. I'd love to see Peter here walking up to the tree. I've got more, I've got more faith than a mustard seed. I can move this tree. And he goes up and he tries to move the tree and it doesn't budge. Because that's just Peter. But it doesn't say that he did that. That's just my imagination. But they didn't. And I haven't seen anybody in my own life, myself included, moving any trees either. And that makes you realize, if the apostles' faith was that small, how big is our faith? I want to move some trees. And I want to move some mountains like Jesus talked about in Matthew 17. But in all seriousness, I want to grow my faith. I want a faith that can do something, a faith that can reach people. I don't want a faith so small that it doesn't affect my life on a daily basis, and I don't want a faith so small that it doesn't affect the people around me on a daily basis. I want to grow my faith. So then that automatically, now my mind goes to the first question, well, what is faith? Go in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 1, or not chapter 1, chapter 11, basically the same thing, right? (laughs) Hebrews chapter 11, if you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, some people call it the hall of faith. I like to call it the hall of fame of faith. It flows a little better for me. I feel a little awkward when I just say hall of faith. I don't know. Anybody with me? Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right. So what is faith? Hebrews 11 very clearly defines it for us, and I'm thankful that it does. It says now in verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. Now, if you're like me, first time you read that, you're like, what does that even mean? (laughs) So then you got to break it down a little bit. In our Bible, hope is not used quite as loosely as we use it today. Today, we almost use it as a synonym for the word wish. I hope I win the lottery. I hope gas prices go down. Or if you're me, you wake up and you say, man, I hope no one makes fun of how ugly I look today. We aren't really using hope or hoping the way that the Bible uses it. 
We're simply wishing for something that probably isn't going to happen. Hope in the Bible, rather, is defined as desiring something good with an expectation that it will happen. Faith is not merely thinking that God might keep his promises, that God might answer our prayers, that God might do what he told us in, our wor- in his word, that God might reward those who diligently seek him. It's, having, it's trusting in God and expecting him to fulfill what he has promised in the Bible. So now we know what faith is. Faith is an expectation for God to fulfill his promises and trusting in God that he'll do that. So that brings up another good question. How can I grow my faith? First and foremost, you've got to make sure you've got your faith that you already have in the right place. Amen. Faith is something that everybody has. Faith's not something you just get once you become a Christian. It's something that God gives to everyone. The question is, not if you have faith, not necessarily how much you, faith you have, but where are you putting your faith? And some people decide they're going to put their faith in science. I'm not being critical of anybody that might work there, but if you've ever seen UC Health's tagline, it's, in science lives hope. Many people actually have requested that they be frozen upon their death in a hope that science advances to the point where they can be unfrozen and brought back to life. Because they can't fathom a life outside of this one, they decide that they're going to seek any other way of bringing their current life back. Because they don't have a faith that anything's going to happen to them after they die, they fear that this is all that they have, and that somehow, maybe eventually, this current life that they have will get brought back. So their faith is simply to sustain the life they already have on earth, whether that's freezing yourself, which I know no one actually does that, whether that's Oh, the medical advances of the day, they'll help me live till I'm like 90-something. I'll be all good. Um, I'm just going to get the most I can out of this life. They put their faith in science. Some people decide to put their faith in other gods. Did you know that there's 2 billion people on this earth that practice Islam? Did you know there's 1 billion people on this earth that practice Hinduism? Or 1 billion, I think I said million. 1 billion people who practice Islam, or Hinduism They put their faith in a God because they have a faith that they have to put somewhere, but they're not willing to put it in the true God, Jesus Christ. Some even put their faith in what they call God. They hold a Bible in their hands, they call themselves a Christian, but they don't want to take God for who he says he is in his word. They pick out the parts they like from God, they say, ooh, I like that in the Bible, ooh, I like that attribute of God, I love that he's love." I love this about him. I love that he wants to save me. I love that he loves me so much. And then they look at all the other traits of God and they're like, yeah, well, I don't, that doesn't really sit well with me. So I'm just going to forget about that one. Uh, you know what? Maybe I'll even add in some things about God that he never even said or didn't say. I'm just going to add it in there and throw the rest of the stuff I don't like away. Let me tell you, friend, that's not putting your faith in God. That's idolatry. Look up, if you will, with me at verse 6. We're in Hebrews 11, verse 6. Hebrews eleven six says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them 
that diligently seek him. I love this verse. I love it because you read it the first time and you say, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And you just ask yourself, well, he is what? And then it reminded me of in Exodus 3, when, uh, when Moses is at the burning bush, he says, well, who am I going to tell the, the Israelites? Uh, what am I going to tell them your name is? I'm going to tell them that the, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, he sent me. They're going to say, well, what's his name if you really met with you? He says, tell him I am sent you. And you're like, I am what? <laughs> you ask yourself, what does that mean? Think about Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, God. And you just look at it, and you're like, by the time you get to that third word, you're just like already asking questions. You're like, who is God? Where did he come from? What's he making? You know, all the, I'm already asking 10 questions by the time I get to, in the beginning, God. But what I love about it is, God doesn't have to explain to us who he is. He just states that he is. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and there was nothing before that because he created time, he created space, and he created matter. We don't have to wonder, well, what was God doing before he created everything? Because there was no time. In our mind, we're like, that must have been a long time not doing anything. But there was nothing going on. He hadn't created time. He hadn't created space where anything, he wasn't floating around in space like some people think, because there was no space to float around in. There was no matter, there was no us to think about it. There was simply the Trinity before things were created. He says, in the beginning, God. He says, I am hath sent thee. He doesn't have to have, he doesn't have to tell Moses his name. He's God. He says, or the Bible says, He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God doesn't need to prove to us that he's God. He simply states it. And he put it in the heart of every man and every woman to know that that's the truth. It says in Romans 2.15 that our conscience bears witness of God. The Bible says in Psalm 14, it says the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. So I ask you, is your faith in the right place? Is your faith in the God of the Bible? Is your faith in Jesus Christ? Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts 14 says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name uh, under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And before I move on, I just want to say, your faith isn't in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for your sins, to be your Savior and give you eternal life, you have no hope. Because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God in Romans chapter 3. We all think that we're good. We all think that because we're doing better than the next guy that we're going to make it to heaven. But in reality, God is perfect. God is holy. God's holiness means there's no sin. God can't let sin into heaven or else he wouldn't be holy. So what are we going to do? If all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and if you're wondering if you sinned, I'll name a couple, lying, cheating, stealing, uh, disobeying your parents, that's an easy one. I do it all the time. Um, I'm just kidding. But the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No one's making it. Not me, not you. 
And then Romans chapter 6 says, for the wages of sin is death. Let me tell you, there's nothing about heaven that has anything to do with death. Heaven is eternal life. So if because of our sin we've earned the wage of death, we're not going to heaven. The Bible says when you die, you either go to heaven or you go to hell. And if we're not going to heaven because we've sinned, that means we're going to hell. It says, for the wages of sin is death. But this is my, one of my favorite verses because it says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's why it says in Romans 5, 8, it says, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I didn't have to do anything good for God to die, send Jesus to die for me. I didn't have to earn Jesus' favor before he died for me. He saw me in the midst of sin and said, I'm going to die for him. God looked at me and said, I'm going to send my son to die for him. And it's because of Jesus Christ, because of his perfect sacrifice that he took on the cross, Jesus says, hey, I'll carry your burdens, I'll carry your sins, and I'll put them on the cross. And they can be washed away by my blood. But all we have to do, or but, but it's not enough just to know it. It's not enough just to know the facts. Satan knows the facts. The devil knows the facts. Uh, demons know the facts, and they're not going to heaven. There's a bunch of people that I've met that know the facts, and they've never accepted Jesus Christ. It's not enough to know that God exists. It's not enough to know that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. It's not enough to know that he rose again the third day. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says if that, if that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There's no other way to get saved. You've got to call on Jesus Christ, ask him to come into your heart, forgive you of your sins, and be your savior. And if you do that, you don't have to worry about going to hell. You don't have to worry about those sins. All you get to look forward to is a home in heaven. If only if you've accepted Jesus Christ and put your faith in him to forgive you of your sins and be your savior. But there's a lot of people in here and you're looking at me, you're like, okay, I know that. I'm on my way to heaven. I'm good. Maybe you got your arms crossed. See a couple of, I'm just kidding. I'm not looking at anybody. Maybe you're looking at me and you're like, I, I know all that. I'm good. What, what, what next? Oh, you know, yawning. To grow our faith, you not just need to make sure you have your faith in the right place more exact in the right person, but to grow your faith, you need to exercise your faith. I got on a workout kick for a while, and I'm ashamed to say that it ended. It did, as you can tell. Uh, well, I got the coat on, so it's not as bad. But it ended. But for a while there, I was working out. I was doing a lot of studying on it. I was learning everything I needed to do. And you're, when you're working out, you're using that little bit of strength you already have, because everybody's got a little bit. You go there and you use that little bit of strength. You max out how much you're doing. You're, you're using all your strength and then, God, or and, then, and, then, and then your muscles tear. And then they heal back a little bit bigger and they're a little bit stronger. And you use your little bit more of strength the next time. And you tear that and it grows back a little bigger. And your muscles are a little stronger. And, you're, and you have the hope and you're trusting that they'll grow back stronger each time. And your faith is the same way. Your faith needs to be tested and pressure needs to be put on it before it can grow. You need to use your little bit of faith, whatever it is, whatever amount of faith that God's given you. 
You need to use it all up. Give it to God and let Him use it. And then put pressure on it and use it and test it. And then it'll be torn down and it'll be brought back just a little bit stronger. You'll have a little bit more faith and you'll put that back in. And it'll grow back just a little bit stronger. Our faith needs to be put on under pressure. When all your needs are met and you're comfortable, you're not living by faith. Amen. When all of your wants align with what God wants for you, you're not living by faith. You might be living right. You might be not living in sin, but you're not living by faith. You might be living right, but it does not require faith. So we need to make sure that we're exercising our faith in the ways that God has already asked us to before we expect for God to give us our next steps. This is a repetitive principle in Scripture. We should not expect God to give us anything new if we aren't doing what He wants with what He's already given us. If God has already convicted you to yield a certain area of your life to Him, whether it's sin or not, whether it's just something that's taken up a little bit too much time or not, it could be a good thing. But if it's taking you away from God and He's asked you to yield it to Him, then, and you refuse to yield it to Him, you're stuck. You're not moving forward until you make a decision. Usually, I'm not going to say this is the case every time. I've heard a couple, I can think of a couple scenarios where this wouldn't be the case, but usually God says, here's my will, here's your will, pick. It's not, here's my will, but here's a couple different routes you can take, and you know, I know you like to do this, so we'll kind of carve over this way. Most of the time it's not like that. There's a couple things where you know, it's not wrong to do one thing or another, but most of the time it's God says, here's my will, you pick. Do you want mine or do you want yours? God has a will for you and you have to follow it step by step. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God's already asked you to hear the word of God. That's one of those things that he's already required of you to search it and to know it to open it every single day of your life and learn from it. The creator of the universe cared enough about you to write an instruction manual for life and a love letter to you showing you that he sent Jesus Christ to die for you because he loves you so much and he just asks you to read it. He wants to talk to you through it. He asks you to come to church every week and hear the word preached. There are certain things you're never going to get from the word if all you do is hear it preached. There's things that you're never going to get from the Word if all you do is study it on your own. There's a reason that you're supposed to do both. There's a healthy balance to it that God gives us. God created it to be a healthy balance for us, and it takes faith to read the Bible. It's not a lot of faith, in my opinion, compared to some other things. Like, there's some things I would consider, to, like, you know, going to another country and smuggling Bibles into other countries. You know, that might take a little more faith than reading your Bible, but it takes faith to read your Bible. It takes faith to go to church. You're setting aside time that you otherwise wouldn't. You're trusting that those hours that you're putting in every week, whether it's in the morning reading your Bible, at night reading your Bible, uh, the hour-long church services three times a week, uh, extra ministries that a lot, a, lot of, a lot of people are involved in, you're trusting that that time that you're putting in by faith is going to yield a benefit to you and a blessing to you and a blessing to others. So that takes faith. But you're going to benefit from it. You're going to look back on it someday and say, like, wow, I'm glad I had the faith to do that. God's going to increase your faith through reading his word because you're going to see the benefits. You're going to look back and say, like, wow, 
I'm glad I've been reading my Bible. I've got a lot more knowledge about God than I used to have. I know him a lot better as my Savior. You'd be able to look back in a couple years, wow, I have a lot more stability in my life from all the doctrine that I've learned through reading the Word and going to church. And there's going to be blessings and benefits that you reap from it, but you have to put in your little bit of faith. You have to read your Bible every day. You have to come to church. You have to become a part of the church and, and get, get, get involved and put your little bit of faith in. And you're going to see the benefits down the road. And God's going to give you more faith because of it. And I know I feel like I'm just kind of going down the list here, but God also asks you to pray. And it sounds simple. It sounds like the thing that everybody always says. Just pray about it. Uh, it God's going to make it better. Just go ahead and pray about it. But just as cliche as it might sound, I want to ask you point blank, how is your prayer life? Do you spend time in prayer more than just for food? Do you get specific when you pray? We wonder why our faith is lacking, but at the same time, our prayer life is lacking. And can I just tell you first at hand that your prayer life, having a strong prayer life, might strengthen your faith more than anything else you do. Amen. When a friend or a family member is sick and hurting, you pray for their healing and God, do, God comes through and he does that for them. That strengthens your faith. When a family member or a friend that you've been praying for to get saved for months or maybe even years... God finally gets a hold of their heart. They finally get saved. They finally turn their life to Christ. That's going to strengthen your faith. Amen. When you don't understand the trials that you're going through and the difficulties that are in your life, you cry out to God and He gives you peace that passes all understanding. That's going to strengthen your faith. So often, we don't pray like we ought to and life just passes us by. And God's going to bless us anyway and in the back of our mind, we almost know that. We almost know that since God's such a good God and he loves us so much, he sent Jesus to die for us for crying out loud. He loves us a whole lot. And we just take that and we're like, well, I don't need to pray today. Life just passes us by. We're not praying about our needs. God will probably still take care of them. We're not praying for that family member. Most people get better eventually. We're not praying for that person to get saved. Oh, somebody else will do it. God will put someone else in their life to lead them to the Lord. And life just passes us by and we hope that God still blesses us anyway. And shoot, half the time the things we prayed for, they came, they came through anyway. The blessings we were praying for, they happened anyway. So why do we need to pray? It'll increase your faith when you pray and you go to God for specific needs and he comes through and answers. And you're not going to get that if you weren't praying about it. God might answer a couple, and you're like, oh, coincidence, God answered my prayer. But if you get specific with God, he's going to answer every single one of your prayers. It might not be a yes. It might be a no. It might be a maybe later. But God's going to answer you. And you wouldn't know that. You wouldn't have that if you weren't praying about it, if you were just letting life pass you by. So we ought to pray. We ought to get specific when we pray. We ought to be people of prayer. And praying... You know, the apostles straight up said, Lord, increase my faith. We ought to pray that. But we also ought to pray for everything else in our life that's going on. Get specific with God. And our faith will be increased when those prayers are answered and we see God moving in our life. I also want to ask you, point blank, how's your personal soul winning? Do you ever talk to others about Christ? God's called all of us to personal evangelism. Amen. Personal evangelism is one of the only ways you're going to see souls saved. Sure, people wander in every once in a while to church. People get saved at church. They raise their hand. Good. That's great. That happens every once in a while. 
But we ought to go out into our world and just tell them about Christ. And if we see souls saved, that ought to, we ought to rejoice in our heart. We ought to have revival in our heart because that's a soul that's on their way to heaven. That's a soul that now has a relationship with Christ. We ought to be happy for them. The angels are rejoicing. Why won't we? So I ask you, how's your personal soul winning? Not, because, not only because we get to see other people saved, but because we get to see the gospel. We get to see the plan of salvation. We get to see the power of Christ working firsthand when we see someone get saved. And, I mean, we, we always look and we're like, well, through the Bible, they got to witness Jesus heal people and, and uh, walk on the water and all those other things. We're like, well, we don't have that, so how can I have the same faith? Lead someone to the Lord. You'll, you'll see a miracle happen right in front of your eyes. That is the transforming power of Christ. And then through discipleship, I mean, they'll, they'll come to know Christ, have a good relationship with him. You'll watch them grow in their faith. And that really helps strengthen your relationship with Christ, your, your faith. Because when you put that little, little bit of faith that you have, you put it in, you say, Lord, I'm going to talk to this person about you. Say, this is all I have. Please use it. I want to talk to this person about Christ. Jesus takes that little bit of faith. He convicts them. They get saved. Now your faith has grown. You put your little bit of faith in. You put a lot of pressure on it. Whatever nervousness, whatever um, lack of confidence you had, you put that pressure on your little bit of faith, and then it grows. Your faith will grow through personal evangelism. And if we exercise our faith in areas we already know that we should, God will show us our next steps. That's why Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. It's not going to be easy to give it up to God. It's not going to be easy to put it all in God's hands. It's not going to be easy, especially, it's, like I said, it's so easy when our wants align with what God wants, and nothing's going on in our life, and there's no pressure, there's no um, hardships, and we're like, I'm right with God. This is great. But then those trials come. We're like, oh, I'll take that back. I need to manage that myself. We ought not do that. We've got to leave it in God's hands. We've got to lean on him in everything. Amen. And if we give him our little bit of faith, and we lean on him, and we ask him to direct our paths, he'll take it. He'll show us our next steps. And we'll see the way that God directed us and how it benefited us in our life. We'll see that it was the better path to take. And our strength will be faith, our faith will be strengthened through it. If you're not here, if you're here, and your faith is not in Jesus Christ, there is no other name, or there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. If you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you don't know when you're going to draw your last breath. You don't know when you have the chance to to make that decision. Oh, I'll make it when I'm older. Church is kind of boring. I don't want to waste my youth on that. I don't want to come be bored. I don't, want to, I don't want to spend all that extra time when I could be out doing this or this. I'll just do it later. I'll get saved later. I'll call on Christ later. After all, he'll forgive me. But you don't know. I had a, a friend of mine that was in one of my classes, and we worked together as well. I think I was 16 or, yeah, 16. It was my sophomore year of high school. 
And I invited him out to our Bible club that we had every week. Um, and I was like, hey man, I think it'd be a good time. You should come out. And I had never talked to, him about, about, talked to him about it before. I honestly had to work up to the, the courage to talk to him about it the first time. And I went up to him and I was like, hey man, it'd be great if you could come out this week. And he was like, oh, I'll try again another week. Uh, but I appreciate the invite. And like literally three days later, he died in a car accident. And I, I really don't say that to, to be a bummer or, 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 or guilt trip you into it, but you really don't know when your last breath is going to be. You really don't know that you have 10, 20, 30, 40 more years to make this decision. There's a reason the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. If you're here today and the Lord is speaking to you and, and you know that you need to get saved, talk to someone about that and get saved today. And if you're here and you've put your faith in Jesus, how are you growing that faith? Are you actively doing what you already know that God wants you to do? Or are you looking like, oh, well, what's my next step? When God just wants you to do what he's already been telling you to do. Amen. Are you looking for new opportunities once you're doing all of that that God's already asked you to do to exercise your faith? Are you putting your faith out there, letting God use it, and letting him grow your faith? Are you exercising your faith? And if you're not, I'd encourage you to do that. That's why.